As you know, Paul's letters, or the Pauline epistles, are arranged in the New Testament in descending order of their length, with the exception of the book of Hebrews. These 14 letters comprise 173 pages, just about 43% of the entire New Testament. This week, we will be looking at the small epistle of Paul to the Philippians and another even smaller epistle to the Colossians. And we will be looking at one particular very wonderful thing Paul taught. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Hello, we're Scott and Maureen Proctor, and this is Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. This week's lesson title, I Can Do All Things Through Christ, Which Strengtheneth Me, is especially significant to me, so much so that I have this right on my desk, and I see it multiple times each day. I look at it because it really does give me strength. It gives me courage to try hard things. I have to say, Scott, at the outset that we have been overwhelmed by the generosity and kindness of you, our podcast listeners, and our amazing Meridian readers, as we have been actively pushing this year's humanitarian project from Meridian Cares and Rising Star Outreach. I don't know what the numbers will be when we actually release this podcast, but as of this writing and recording, after a little more than two weeks of the campaign, you wonderful people had given more than 142000 of the $200,000 we are trying to raise. How can we thank you enough? Please be assured that every penny that's raised for this project through Meridian Cares goes right to the building of the school for the children of the leprosy affected there in Bihar, India. Maureen, when you and I went to Bihar, we were overwhelmed with compassion for these children of our Father in Heaven. Leprosy is an insidious disease that still plagues untold thousands in India and in other countries. Even though the cure was found over 30 years ago, there is such a stigma around the disease. Many do not report their own symptoms for fear of being rejected by their family and their communities. I, too, am just so grateful that we can work with our dear friend Becky Douglas and the Rising Star Outreach Organization to help build this school. The campaign will not go on much longer, so please go to risingstaroutreach.org forward slash meridian and give generously. We've said that if everyone listening would just give $25, we could build the school. And so very many of you have given much more than that, 100 250 500 or even $1,000 or more. Thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. As we start this lesson, Maureen, I just have to interject one thing that really relates to the book of Ephesians from last week. You know how we try everything possible to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. We have family home evenings, we take them to church, we have family prayers, we read our scriptures together and make the temple a center of our worship. You know all these things, but I remember a very effective scripture memorization we did with the children when they were still all home and most of them very small. One of the very first scriptures we had them all memorize was from Ephesians, and I bet all eleven children could still recite this passage to this day. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There was something about the cadence and rhythm of that verse that really worked, and the principles taught were right on. I just had to add that in before we go on with Philippians and Colossians. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. We always like to say, for this is right. I love that memory and do know that was a great scripture for our children. And I'm sure it would be for you, our listeners, children and grandchildren. Now, you know me, Scott. 
I love maps. You certainly do. Whenever you and I go to another country, I have to have a map. I have to see everything in context. Of course, we use GPS these days, but I still love to see a map to get context and see surroundings. And I feel the same way about the ancient world. It helps me so much to see the various cities where Paul is sending his epistles, all in context with each other. You all know where Rome is, right there in Italy. We were just recently at the Rome Temple dedication, and all of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles were there. It was breathtaking. This is certainly part of Paul's ancient territory. And you should know where Corinth is now, just 42 miles west and south of Athens, Greece. And Galatia, you remember, is located in north-central Turkey, with Ankara being the capital in ancient times. You should also know that Ephesus is located in western Turkey, right on the Aegean Sea coast. This is a favorite stop for tourists today, with many cruise ships having Ephesus on their itineraries. Philippi is located in Greece, in ancient Macedonia, just a hundred miles east of Thessalonica, not far from the border of modern Turkey, but still a city in Greece. Colossae, which relates to today's lesson, is a hundred miles east of Ephesus and is located in the ancient region of Phrygia in Asian Minor, modern-day Turkey. In fact, it's worth going to the back of your Bibles, either paper or electronic versions, and look at the map section. Take a look at map number 20 and map 21, Paul's second and third journey, and see where all these places are. Remember, Christ's admonition to the apostles was to take the gospel to all the world, and Paul was certainly doing his part. And we forget sometimes, because it's not readily in our records, that the ancient apostles were taking the gospel all over the known world. Remember, we are talking about the Roman Empire at that time, and it stretched from the British Isles on the west to the Caspian Sea on the east. It covered all of North Africa and Asia Minor. This was a huge empire, and the apostles' desires were to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And we see this work of the apostles going far and wide just from their deaths. Peter was in Rome when he was crucified upside down. Paul was also in Rome when he was beheaded. Thomas, by tradition and most records, was in Madras, or Chennai, India. We know some of the apostles made it into Ethiopia, and we certainly know they were in the British Isles. James, brother of John, though he was beheaded in Jerusalem, was buried in Galicia, Spain, because of his much time that he had spent in Spain spreading the gospel. Andrew was buried in Patras, Greece. We know that Bartholomew was in Italy and Philip was in Turkey. Matthew was buried in Salerno, Italy, and Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was buried in Trier, Germany, which was part of your mission, Scott. That's right. So you can see that the apostles took very seriously the charge to take the gospel to all the world. Paul is certainly deemed the most traveled among them, but that may or may not be true. We certainly know more about his missions because of Luke's writings in the Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's our brief geography lesson. We did that for Maureen's sake because of her love of maps and context. Now, let's talk about some of the teachings and doctrines found in the books of Philippians and Colossians. I'd like to jump right in and talk about Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 
I love this scripture and I think about it every day because, as I mentioned, it's right on my desk before my eyes. I remember the saying you had on your desk just before that one, which was really a good saying, I can do hard things. That's certainly motivational and a good confidence builder, but a little more me-focused. This scripture, Philippians 4.13, really reminds me of John chapter 15, verse 5, which is one of our faith scriptures that we've memorized. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. That certainly puts us in our place. It's breathtaking, truly. Without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. How can that be? It brings me to King Benjamin's teachings, which we will talk about in greater detail in the Book of Mormon Come Follow Me podcast in April. But I love three things specifically from his sermon. First, from Mosiah chapter 2, verse 21. I say unto you that if ye should serve him who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath, that ye may live and move and do according to your own will, and even supporting you from one moment to another, supporting us from one moment to another, he is there for us and loans us the very air we breathe. In astronaut lingo, he is like our spacesuit. We are completely dependent on Him for our very lives. Try to walk on the moon without your spacesuit and, well, you just can't do it. The second thing I love from King Benjamin on this topic is in Mosiah chapter 4, verse 19. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have, for both food and raiment, and for gold and for silver, and for all riches which we have of every kind? So we are not only dependent for breath, but for all our means of living and survival, for our food and our means of making a living. No wonder we have the wonderful practice of thanking God at each and every meal, because He gave it to us. Yes, it's tempting sometimes to think we are self-made men and women, that we are the ones who brought something about. The world certainly teaches that falsehood. Myriads of books have been written on this very topic. Wouldn't it be nice if each of those books had a special chapter called, But Remember, or Don't Get Too Stuck on Self, or Putting Things in True Perspective. We sometimes think we are the vine, But the eternal truth is, we are the branches, and we absolutely must abide in Him. And a third point from King Benjamin, and this goes right along with that chapter title you just suggested, Scott, and this is Mosiah chapter 4, verse 21. And now, if God who has created you, on whom you are dependent for your lives and for all that ye have and are, doth grant unto you whatsoever ye ask that is right in faith, believing that ye shall receive. Oh, then, how ye ought to impart of the substance that ye have one to another. So we obtain all that we have from him, our very breath, our food, our living, forgiveness of our sins, our all. And of course, we need to freely share with each other to bless those who stand in need of our aid. And it takes a lot of humility to live in this survival of the fittest world, this only the strong survive world, this looking out for number one world, and acknowledge and practice the truth that we are all dependent on Jesus Christ. 
But as we do this, then, the scripture truly comes to pass in our lives. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Think of all the prophets who have lived their lives this way. Remember Ammon, the son of King Mosiah, who said, Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. There's that same teaching that Paul has given us. Think of Moses, who cowered before the Lord as he was given his mission and calling. O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. This same Moses stood before Pharaoh and decreed plague after plague upon mighty Egypt, and he raised his staff and parted the waters of the Red Sea. Moses is the prototype of this scripture. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And we could go from Adam and Eve to Enoch to Abraham and Sarah to Jacob and Rachel to Joseph of Egypt and to our modern prophets, Joseph Smith to Russell M. Nelson. These are all remarkable men and women, but they all have the distinct characteristic of living their lives in a way that they know they are dependent upon Jesus Christ and they cannot do anything without him. Brigham Young said it this way, God is the source, the fountain of all intelligence, no matter who possesses it, whether man upon the earth, the spirits in the spirit world, the angels that dwell in the eternities of the gods, or the most inferior intelligence among the devils in hell. All have derived what intelligence, light, power, and existence they have from God, from the same source from which we have received ours. Every good and perfect gift cometh from God. Every discovery in science and art that is really true and useful to mankind has been given by direct revelation from God, though but few acknowledge it. It has been given with a view to prepare the way for the ultimate triumph of truth and the redemption of the earth from the power of sin and Satan. We certainly love Brigham Young, don't we? He said it how it is. And then we think about what the Lord says in section 59 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And in nothing doth man offend God, or against none is his wrath kindled, save those who confess not his hand in all things. We are dependent upon him. We can do all things through him who gives us the strength to do all things. And we must remember joyfully to acknowledge his hand in all things in our lives. That's a true pattern for happiness. And Scott, I remember one night lying in bed and thinking about something I had to do the next day that really worried me. And I wasn't sure if I had the ability to do it. And then this scripture entered my mind about that I can do all things through Christ. And I realized it wasn't my strength I had to rely on the next day. And it gave me so much peace and hope, and I could relax before the task. Paul, you remember, had visited Philippi on his second mission, and this would constitute, as far as we have record, the first missionary work in Europe. Philippi was a Roman colony where Latin was the official language, although the indigenous residents would have also spoken Greek, the language of Paul. The colony was inhabited by expatriates from Italy, likely former soldiers who had fought in the Roman civil wars of 44 BC. Luke records that Paul was imprisoned at Philippi, 
the result of a dispute over Jewish sensitivities. So, Paul is writing to the Philippians who are converts to Christ and to the Jews who are also trying to convert to Christianity. And there were contentions and disputations in Philippi, as there were in many other of the early branches of the church. Paul was trying to teach them to stand faithful on their own and to draw closer to Christ. We read in the first chapter of Philippians, verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This reminds me of our modern times and how important it is that new members of the church are converted to Jesus Christ and his everlasting gospel and not to the missionaries who delivered the message to them. In some wards we have found that as we go through the roles of less active members, some of them had been those who had loved their missionaries and had been converted by them or perhaps to them and then after the missionaries left, they soon fell away. President Gordon B. Hinckley taught that every new convert needs three things, a friend, a responsibility, and nurturing with the good word of God. Converts come into the church with enthusiasm for what they have found. President Hinckley continues, we must immediately build on that enthusiasm. You have people in your wards who can be friends to every convert. They can listen to them, guide them, answer their questions, and be there to help in all circumstances and in all conditions. I invite every member to reach out in friendship and love for those who come into the church as converts. President Hinckley continued, Every convert who comes into this church should have an immediate responsibility. It may be ever so small, but it will spell the difference in his life. I cannot understand why converts aren't given more responsibility immediately when they come into the church. The tendency is to say, they don't know enough. Well, take a chance on them. Think of what a chance the Lord has taken on you. Give them something to do, be it ever so small, something that's specific and by which they will grow. You will not develop people in this church unless you give them responsibility. President Hinckley concluded on this topic. Moroni writes concerning new members, And after they had been received unto baptism, and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ, and their names were taken, that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God, to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and the finisher of their faith. In these days, as in those days, converts are numbered among the people of the church to be remembered and nourished by the good word of God, to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer. Let us help them as they take their first steps as members. It would have so helped the saints in Philippi to have these teachings, and it helps us today to follow these teachings. As I was studying Philippians, I was drawn to a few verses in the second chapter that really present a pretty thorough answer to a question that an angel had posed to Nephi in a vision. Do you remember? In 1 Nephi chapter 11, verse 16, the angel asked Nephi, Knowest thou the condescension of God? Nephi really didn't know the answer. He just said, 
I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, we read, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the great Jehovah of the pre-mortal world, already a God, already the creator of worlds without number, already the one to wrought the atonement by his sinless blood, condescended to come down to earth and take upon himself a mortal body and live in this mortal sphere among men. And not only that, he would be born in a lowly stable, a fold made for animals, the lowliest place on earth, really not fit for the king that he truly is. Paul continues in verse 9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, the Father sent his Holy Son Jesus to the earth to finally be lifted up on the cross, that he might then lift all men up who would look to him and follow his commandments. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the plan of salvation. That is the great plan of happiness. That is the thing that caused all of us in the pre-mortal world to shout for joy. Scott, I can't pass up verse 15 of chapter 2 in Philippians. The wording caught my attention. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Isn't that indeed the commission that the Savior has given to us? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Christ taught the Nephites, I give unto you to be the light of this people. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The Savior wants us to shine as lights in a fast-darkening world, and he further teaches this. Therefore, hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. Behold, so, I am the light we are to become more and more like the Savior in all that we do. do. It truly is well for us to ask in any given situation, what would Jesus do? How would the Savior want me to act? How would Jesus Christ have me respond in this difficult situation? How would he want me to treat my spouse or my child? I love the words of the simple primary hymn that we all know. I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'm following in his ways. I'm trying to love as he did in all that I do and say. At times I am tempted to make a wrong choice, but I try to listen as the still small voice whispers, Love one another as Jesus loves you. Try to show kindness in all that you do. Be gentle and loving in deed and in thought, for these are the things Jesus taught. I think that's what the entire Come Follow Me curriculum is all about. Scott, I think it's so interesting to note a little something from church history here that ties to our lesson this week. John Wentworth, the editor and proprietor of the Chicago Democrat, requested Joseph Smith to give a brief history of the rise, progress, persecution, and faith of the Latter-day Saints, which Joseph did. Many of us are familiar with various parts of this letter. 
Almost at the end of this 2,829-word letter, Joseph gives the familiar prophecy that is so often quoted. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. The truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent, till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear. What many do not know is that after this powerful and bold prophecy, Joseph ended the entire letter with the 13 articles of faith. The longest of these, of course, is the last one, the 13th article of faith. Joseph clearly was familiar with the teachings of Paul the Apostle in Philippians, as we read here in chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That reminds me so much when we were serving in a YSA ward at BYU, I used to interview the students for their ecclesiastical endorsement. The first question I would always ask these students was this, can you recite for me the 13th article of faith? Amazingly, except when I had an adult convert, every one of them recited the entire 13th article of faith was seldom a mistake. I was so impressed. We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things. We hope all things. We have endured many things and hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. I would then say to the student, If you live by the thirteenth article of faith, then you will be keeping the BYU Honor Code and you pass all the questions on the ecclesiastical endorsement. That was always a sweet experience for me. Those young single adults are amazing, aren't they? If we skip just three verses forward in Philippians chapter 4 to verse 11, I love what Paul teaches us here. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This comes from someone who also recorded this summary of his trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren." in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That's quite a list from someone who teaches us that, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. That reminds me so much of Elder Joseph B. Worthland's inspiring talk. In fact, it was his last talk he ever gave in General Conference. He told this story and then taught us a lesson. When I was young, I loved playing sports, and I have many fond memories of those days, but not all of them are pleasant. I remember one day after my football team lost a tough game, I came home feeling discouraged. My mother was there. She listened to my sad story. She taught her children to trust themselves and each other, not blame others for their misfortunes, and give their best effort in everything they attempted. 
When we fell down, she expected us to pick ourselves up and get going again. So the advice my mother gave to me then wasn't altogether unexpected. It has stayed with me all my life. Joseph, she said, come what may and love it. I have often reflected on that counsel. Elder Woodland continued, There may be some who think that general authorities rarely experience pain, suffering, or distress. If only that were true. While every man and woman on this stand today has experienced an abundant measure of joy, each also has drunk deeply from the cup of disappointment, sorrow, and loss. The Lord in His wisdom does not shield anyone from grief or sadness. You may feel singled out when adversity enters your life. You shake your head and wonder, why me? But the dial on the wheel of sorrow eventually points to each of us. At one time or another, everyone must experience sorrow. No one is exempt. I love the scriptures because they show examples of great and noble men and women, such as Abraham, Sarah, Enoch, Moses, Joseph, Emma, and Brigham. Each of them experienced adversity and sorrow that tried, fortified, and refined their characters. Learning to endure times of disappointment, suffering, and sorrow is part of our on-the-job training. These experiences, while often difficult to bear at the time, are precisely the kinds of experiences that stretch our understanding, I think that's exactly what Paul was teaching the Philippians and what he was teaching us. Come what may and love it. In whatsoever state I am, be content. These are certainly teachings for our times. Let's just talk about two more things. We know, Maureen, from historical sources that the city of Colossae was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 61. So the letter to the Colossians can be dated before that time, since the city was never rebuilt, and had Paul heard of the devastating quake, he would have mentioned it. We can assume that the letter was written about AD 60 from Rome while Paul was in prison there. We look for clues like that when we are just trying to date things or put things in a chronology. In this first chapter of Colossians, Paul gives a powerful witness of the Savior as the Creator. Starting in verse 16, we read, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. These verses from Paul and these teachings go right along with section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 11 through 13. And the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same light that quickeneth your understandings, which light proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space. The light which is in all things, which giveth life to all things, which is the law by which all things are governed, even the power of God who sitteth upon his throne, who is in the bosom of eternity, who is in the midst of all things. The closer we draw unto Jesus Christ, the more we realize that he is everything to us. He is our all. He is truly in and through all things and is the only way back to the Father. And doesn't this careful study of the scriptures throughout the week just naturally draw us closer to him? One last thing today. It's in Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. This really leaped out at me this week. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, 
I love that phrase, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Isn't that great counsel, to be grounded and settled in the faith? In Book of Mormon lingo, that means firm, steadfast, and immovable, and never moving away from the hope of the gospel. Why would we ever want to move away from the hope of the gospel that centers in our Savior, Jesus Christ? It is the only safe path on this planet to be grounded and settled in our faith in Him, firm, steadfast, and immovable, never departing from this sure path. Thanks for joining us again this week, and thanks for over one million downloads of the podcast in these past few months. And thank you for your generosity in our Meridian Cares and Rising Star Outreach Partnership to build this school in Bihar, India, for the children of the leprosy affected. Please join in donating to this great school at risingstaroutreach.org forward slash meridian. That's risingstaroutreach.org forward slash meridian. Next week's lesson will cover 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and is entitled, Be Not Soon Shaken in Mind or Be Troubled. Thanks to Paul Cardall for the wonderful music that opens and closes this podcast. Have a great week and see you next time.